Welcome to another Salvation by Grace midweek message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. We are currently studying the book of Psalms. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA, along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty. Well, this feels vaguely familiar. I get email. I get a lot of email. And I do attempt to answer all my own email. And I'm grateful for the people who do email me. But every once in a while, people send letters to the post office box. And a couple of weeks ago, Tom handed me a letter that was such an encouragement to me and such a reminder of why we do what we do the way we do it that I thought I would share it with you all tonight here at the beginning of our first Wednesday of 2023 as we're back in the Psalms. You know, I had speculated that maybe we would get into a bit of Jeremiah after we finished the first book of Psalms. But the feedback was that people were enjoying the Psalms and to keep going. And so your wish is my command. And so tonight we're going to go into the second book, the second collection of Psalms out of the book of Psalms. But first, I want to share this letter with you, a handwritten letter, a rarity these days. They didn't just sit down at their keyboard. They picked up a pen and a piece of paper and wrote to me, Dear Pastor Jim, Your teachings have been a part of my husband's life now for the past 14 years and has been a huge influence in how we read and what we believe the Bible truly says. I have heard your teachings many times, but coming out from a church that fell apart and having deep wounds, your teachings were on the back burner of my heart up until four years ago. I hear that very frequently. It's one of the things that makes me so grateful for GCA. And when I say I'm grateful for GCA, I mean I'm grateful for all of you. I get so many letters and emails from people who have been hurt by church, people who have been damaged by going to church. And uh, GCA, through these 21 years, has remained a healthy body for the most part. We've had our ups and downs, we've had our moments, we've had our conflicts, and yet we come back together around the word of God. And I'm so very grateful for that. I guess I needed to heal before I could begin to hear a true and in-context teaching of God's word. I can now say that I'm beginning to understand God's word. I'm now able to sit down daily and have a Bible study with your teaching, and it now makes sense to me. Who would have guessed? The Bible makes sense. I would like to thank you for being our internet pastor and teacher of God's word. You and the congregation of GCA have been a huge blessing to my husband and I. Thank you for your faithfulness in God and his holy word. Please take this small token of our appreciation for all that you do, not only for us, but for so many others. In Christ Jesus, and she gives me her name. That 
is the kind of male that just does my heart so very much good. Because so much of the email is, who do you think you are? Or how can you say that? Or can you prove that? Or what do you think of? And then people give me homework. They send me papers that someone has written or videos they want me to watch. And they say, what do you think of this? And I just like it when somebody writes a note of encouragement, especially a note like that. That is just so very kind, and I really, really appreciate it. So that's why we do what we do and have been doing it all these years. Turn to Psalm 42. As I mentioned tonight, we're going to start the second collection of psalms, book two. Book two is basically 31 psalms. It goes from Psalm 42 to Psalm 72. The two that we're going to look at tonight, Psalm 42 and 43, are said to be to or of the sons of Korah. We're going to see seven psalms in this book that are designated to the sons of Korah or of the sons of Korah. And that's probably not saying that the sons of Korah were the authors of it. It probably means that it was given to the sons of Korah so that they could then perform them or publish them in the temple. One psalm in book two is by Asaph. That's psalm number 50. 20 of them are by David. That's psalm 51 through psalm 70. Three of them are anonymous. And the very last of them, Psalm 72, is by Solomon. Tonight, as I mentioned, we're going to look at Psalm 42 and 43. And initially, these two psalms were one psalm. And in fact, many ancient Hebrew manuscripts have them being one psalm. I don't know the background or why they were separated into two, but it's obvious as we read it contextually that they belong together because three times we're going to see this exact same refrain that shows up twice in Psalm 42 and then once at the end of Psalm 43. And it's such a long refrain, it's obvious that it was all from the pen of the same writer. That refrain is verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. That exact same phrase shows up in verse 11. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And then at the end of Psalm 43, verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So it's the exact same phraseology, the exact same refrain, three times. So if this was being performed as a musical piece or as a recitation that would almost be like the chorus. Now, there is this very interesting bit of Hebrew language that I want to point out, though, in that refrain. In order to do that, we got to go back to a little bit of etymology. Uh, Jesus, 
The name Jesus is an English name that comes from the Greek and the Latin, Aesus. But the Hebrew name is Yeshua or Yahashua, which is Joshua. But the shortened version of it also in Hebrew is Yeshua. And so that is the name that when the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary and said, you'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so there's something about that name, Jesus, Yeshua, that also is intrinsic to the fact that he is the savior, that he's the one who is going to do the saving. The phrase, the help of my countenance, in the LSB, in the literal standard Bible, is the salvation of my presence. He is the surety, the guarantee of my presence. And we're going to talk about what that presence is in just a moment. But he is the salvation of my presence. And the reason that they translated it that way instead of the help of my countenance is because that word is Yeshua. That word that is translated salvation or help is Yeshua. And so that is really interesting theologically that all the way back here in the Psalms, God is referred to as Yeshua, the one who does the saving. And then when Jesus came to the planet, Mary was told specifically his name will be Yeshua, Iesus, Jesus, because he will be the saving one. So this theme of saving, this theme of helping, This theme of restoration and redemption runs all the way through the Bible. And in fact, the Psalms, or really any of the prophets, in talking about the restoration and redemption of Israel, all the way to the book of Revelation and the restitution and regathering of Israel and the kingdom to come, all of that is about restitution, all of that is about redemption, all of that is about salvation, And it's all wrapped up in this name, Yeshua, who is our Savior. Now, the writer of these two psalms, he is out of Jerusalem. He's been driven away from Jerusalem. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know why he has been driven out, but he wants to be back in Jerusalem. And he wants to be back in the temple of God. He wants to worship in the temple of God. In fact, he's even going to say that he remembers the days when he would go to appear before God, which is the language that God himself uses when he says that all the children of Israel who can travel have to come up to Jerusalem for his feast three times a year. He says, you have to come and appear before me. And so this language of I want to appear before him means I want to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship God. And he even recollects joyously the days when he and the group, the throng, the saints, used to go up to Jerusalem, up to the temple, to worship God. He tells us geographically where he is. He's up by Mount Hermon. If you have a a map in the back of your Bible, and you go and look for Mount Hermon, It's about as far away from Jerusalem as you can get and still be right within the border of Israel. It is north of the Sea of Galilee. It's in the section that is known as Eastern Manasseh. He is about as far away from Jerusalem as he can get and still be technically within Israel. 
And yet he wants to be back in Jerusalem because that's the place where the temple is. That's the place where the worship of God is. And yet, as much as he desires that, as much as he prays for that, as much as he wants that, nevertheless, he reaches the point of saying, and God doesn't hear me. Nothing's changing. I'm still here. I want to be there. I want to worship God. And yet God seems to not be listening, not paying attention. I think we all relate to that. We've all gone through periods of our life where we feel like God doesn't hear me. Where are you, God? I could certainly use you right now. And his response every time is to get his thinking right, get his theology right. And as much as he says, my tears have overwhelmed me, he compares his tears and he compares his heartache to floods of water, deep, calling to deep, overflowing over him. And yet, three times he gets his mind right and says, but why are you in despair, my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope, have faith, have confidence, anticipate what you know is coming, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. And in the context, you're going to see that what he's saying is, I will again be in the temple. I will again be back in Jerusalem. I will again praise him with the saints. Why? Because he is the salvation of my presence before him. When I get to go back before him, when I get to go worship him again, it's not going to be by my own strength or my own ability. It's going to be him who delivers me so that I can worship him. Wonderful theology. So now let's start reading. Now that you know all that, this will take just a few minutes because now that you understand the background and the history and the geography, the language is really obvious. Psalm 42, for the choir director, a maskil of the sons of Korah. Maskil, we've run into that word before. Some people say that it means a contemplative psalm, something you want to think about. Some people say that that is a musical notation, giving credibility to the idea that it is for the sons of Korah so that they can perform it in the temple. And it starts... As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. That's why we just sang that song. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. My soul, says verse 2, thirsts for God, for the living God. And when shall I come and appear before God? So he wants to come again to Jerusalem. He wants to go to the temple. He wants to appear before God. He wants to keep the feasts of God. He wants to go and celebrate God at Jerusalem in keeping with what the law says he is required to do. But because of his circumstances, he's not able to do it. And he has a sincere desire, a sincere longing to be back in Jerusalem in the temple worshiping God And he likens it to how wild animals, in this case a deer, they're always in search of water. They need water to survive. And so they're always longing to find water in the same way that a deer pants or desires the water. That's the same way, he says, that my soul longs for 
pants over you, O my God. My soul is thirsty for God, for the living God, which is a really interesting phrase because he is contrasting Yahweh at that point with all the other gods that are not gods. All the stone gods and all of the metal gods and all of the wood gods, he's saying, those are not gods because they don't live. Because if they move, they have to be carried. They can't speak, they can't hear, they can't think. And yet people give them credit for all these things that they're not even doing. Instead, I need the God who is alive. I need the God who can hear me. I need the God who can respond to me. That's who my soul longs for. My soul thirsts for the living God. So when am I going to be delivered? When am I going to appear in Jerusalem before you? When am I going to get to come to the temple again? When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. And they say to me all day long, where is your God? So it's not bad enough that he is far away from Jerusalem. It's not bad enough that he can't get to the temple and worship his God. But his enemies know that that's his desire. And yet his God is not delivering him. And yet he is still driven out of his land. He is not in the temple worshiping God. And so to make things worse, his enemies are taunting him with where is your God? Apparently, that's a way of saying, if your God existed, if your God really was alive, he would have helped you by now. He would have delivered you back by now. And so he's saying, I'm crying, my tears, my heartache, because not only am I not in Jerusalem, but because even my enemies around me, day and night, constantly, all the day long, are asking where you are. So where are you? Why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you delivering me? Where is your God? Now, these things I remember. This is him now looking back to the days when he used to go with the throng up to Jerusalem, up to the temple to keep the feast. These things I remember. And I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude keeping the feast, a multitude keeping festival. So at one point he was in Jerusalem. At one point he was among the people of God who would join together at the temple and worship God and sing to God and have joy before God as they appear before God. And he can't get that out of his memory that is embedded in his memory. And yet, as much as he longs to do that again, he's not there. And his enemies are saying, where is your God? He hasn't delivered you. And so you can see his dilemma. Those first four verses show what the dilemma is. I'm out of Jerusalem. I can't go worship God in the temple. I can't keep his feasts. And to make things worse, my enemies are mocking me because you haven't delivered me yet. So where are you, God? And then verse 5, 
is that refrain where he gets his mind right, even in the midst of the situation that he has just described, he then turns on himself and defends God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope, trust, have faith in God, for I shall again praise him Because the Yeshua, the helper, he is the salvation. His very presence, his very existence, the fact that he is the living God means that he is the Savior who is going to deliver me again. And so he can say with confidence, I will again praise God. I will again be returned to the temple. Not now. I can't see it. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation. My friends are mocking me. It really looks dire. And starting in verse 6, he's going to start saying again, I'm despairing. The waves of grief are rolling over me. But he keeps asking himself, why? So what I see here, and I think is pretty obvious in the text, is when we get our eyes on ourselves, when we get our eyes on our circumstances, it's real easy to say, where is God in this? You look at the world in the shape it's in right now. And it's really easy to say, where is God in all this? And then when we remember who God is and that he is the living God, that he is the sovereign God, that he is on his throne doing whatever seems right to him, when you remember that, then you can comfort yourself and say, what was I thinking? Why am I despairing? I just need to remember that he is my salvation. He is my deliverance. Verse 6, oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Mount Mizar is right up by Mount Hermon, and in fact, it means small hill. So he's saying, I am on the small hill that is right beside Mount Hermon, and I'm all the way out here beyond the Jordan, way up here in East Manasseh. And from there, my soul is in despair. And I'm thinking about you, and I'm remembering you, and I'm remembering your law, and I'm remembering your requirements, and I'm remembering that I'm supposed to be at the temple three times a year. I remember what it is that you require of us, and I'm not able to do it, and that brings nothing but despair to my soul. Oh, my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, from the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Miser. All of verse 7 is an analogy he's going to create here where he's saying these waves of grief are like a flood sweeping over me. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. In other words, it's wave after wave after wave. And with each wave, as I'm sinking into the depths, it's like it's calling to the next wave and saying, bury him again. Call into the next wave, bury him again. Deep is calling to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. 
All your breakers and all your waves have rolled over me. But then he remembers, verse 8. The Lord, Yahweh, will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night. There is a hymn that says, he bringeth me songs in the night. That's where that comes from. The idea that day or night, God is there, God is present, God will bring you reassurance if you keep your mind stayed on him. Circumstances are deep is calling to deep. Circumstances are wave after wave is overwhelming me. All the waves breaking are rolling over me constantly. Those are my circumstances. But what I know theologically, what I know about God, and what is comforting to me when I think about it, is that the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. By the way, I think it's interesting that he did not just refer to loving kindness as an emotion, but his loving kindness is also a thing that God commands. God is in sovereign control of even his loving kindness and who gets it and who receives it. And so he directs it, he commands it, he steers it to his people. The Lord will command his loving kindness during the daytime. And his songs will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. The God who keeps me alive, the living God, the one who cares for me. That's who I'm going to pray to in the night. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? So even though he refers to God as his stability, his fortress, his protection, even though God is his rock on which he stands, he still has to say to God, I feel abandoned here. Do you know how far away from home I am? You know how far away from worshiping you in the temple I am? And you don't help me and you don't respond to me. And why have you forgotten me? And why do I go mourning, crying, weeping because of the oppression of the enemy? So his expectation is the living God should, since he is my fortress, since he is my protection, since he is my rock, he should deliver me from my enemies. And instead, I'm right here smack dab in the middle of my enemies, and they're mocking me constantly. What I know theologically, what I know about God is that he's my rock, he's my protector. His loving kindness is never taken away from me. He gives me songs and prayers in the night. And yet, when I look at my circumstances, I have to admit that he is not delivering me. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And then he says again that all day long they keep asking him, where is your God? And he compares it to having broken bones to hear them mocking you and to hear them asking where you are. As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Those are tough circumstances. Those are bad circumstances he's in. And yet again, the refrain comes up. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? 
Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. The very fact that I can stand here right now, the very fact that I'm still alive, the very fact that I am present and that I long to be with him is because of his restoration, redemption, salvation, Yeshua. Psalm 43, again he cries out, Vindicate me, O God. Plead my case against an ungodly nation. So he's among his enemies. He's among Gentiles. He's among people who want to do him harm, who are mocking him, who are mocking God, and he realizes there's no way that he's going to be able to deliver himself. And there's no way that he's going to be able to pose an adequate defense against his enemies. And he realizes that if a defense is made, it has to be made by God. And so he says, vindicate me, God. Plead my case against this ungodly nation. In other words, if you deliver me back to Jerusalem, if I do go back to the temple, if I am ever able to leave my enemies, that will be my vindication, and they will realize that their mockery was empty. As long as I'm here, as long as they're able to still make fun of me, as long as they're able to still suppress me, then they continue to mock against me and feel like they have the upper hand and feel like I'm wrong and feel like they're right and that they can say, where is your God? He's obviously nowhere. He's not helping you. So help me, God. And in that way, you will vindicate me and you will plead my case against this ungodly nation. Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and the unjust man. Verse 2, for thou art the God of my strength. Why hast thou rejected me? He said it previously, you are my rock. You're my fortress. You're my hiding place. So why have you rejected me? I long to be with you. I long to be in the temple. I long to keep your feasts. Why don't you hear me? Why do I go mourning, crying because of the oppression of the enemy? Why are you letting my circumstances continue? Why aren't you delivering me? Verse 3, oh, send out your light. Send out your truth. And let those lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill. Jerusalem, the holy hill where the temple is. Let your light and your truth be my vindication and then let it deliver me and take me back to worship you. Now, it would be easy at this point to make a New Testament parallel and say Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And he is the one who leads us to proper worship of God. He is the one we're going to see in the book of Revelation who ultimately leads his church into the new Jerusalem where God is ever with us and we are always able to worship him. And so it's interesting that he would use the word Yeshua as the word for salvation and deliverance. There's all these Christological shadows all the way through these two psalms. Oh, send out your light and send out your truth. Let those lead me 
and let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling place, to Jerusalem, to the Temple Mount, and into your temple. And then once I'm in the temple, verse 4, then I will go to the altar of God. I'll go to the place where sacrifice is made. I'll go to the place where you are worshipped. I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And then upon the lyre, I shall praise thee, O God, my God. So I long to worship you. I long to worship you with music. I long to worship you with joy. I long to be in your temple. I want to be in Jerusalem. And yet here I am, stuck so very far away, surrounded by my enemies. And when I look at my circumstances, it makes me so sad. It makes me so upset. It is like waves rolling over me. I am crying. I am mourning all the day long because of the oppression of my enemies and the way that they mock you and the way that they say, where are you? Any of that sound familiar? Yes. It's kind of the world we live in right now, isn't it? That we are living among people who are unjust, people who are deceitful. We live among a godless nation, a godless generation of people who ask us all the time, where is your God? Let him just prove himself. Let him do something. Maybe a good miracle or something. Where is your God? And here we are, far away from where we want to be, longing for where we want to be. Amen. If you're anything like me, and usually after that I say, and I hope you're not, but in this one instance, I hope you are. I hope you realize this world is not your home. And I expect that you long to be in the presence of God and you long to be gathered together with all the saints of God, and you long to be at the altar of God. You long to be in the presence of God, to worship God with joy and with music, to worship God with a sinless mind, to worship him in spirit and in truth. What a grand day that will be. And yet, here we are, and sometimes it just feels like the wait is very long. It feels like, come on, God, how much more are we supposed to put up with? And every new day, there's some new outrage. Every new day, there's some even weirder, more bizarre thing happening. You think, where is God? Just come get me. Come deliver me. Send your light. Send your truth. And let them lead me all the way to you. And so when we reach that point, I think it's good that we take advice from these two psalms and we go back to the refrain because the refrain is the grounding. It is the solid rock on which these psalms are built. We as humans go through pain. We as humans go through sadness and separation. We go through misery. We go through the waves rolling over us. We go through our own circumstances, and sometimes it's very, very hard. So we have to keep our minds stayed on God. And if you keep your mind centered on God and his deliverance and his Christ, then you'll be able to say, verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? 
Now, after the flesh, it would be real easy to say, have you not seen what's going on? That's why I'm disturbed. I'm upset because look, look at what's going on in the world. Look what's happening to me. Look at the godlessness that surrounds me. And yet, what he's saying here is, calm your soul. Calm your thinking. Why is your thinking disturbed within you? Instead, hope in God. Place your faith in God. Put your confidence in God. Because we know through his prophets, through his word, we know what the end result is going to be. We know what his intention is. We know what the long-term plan is. And between now and our final deliverance into his presence, we need to just keep our hope and our mind stayed on him. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. In this context, he means I will again be in the presence of his people. I will be in his temple. I will be in Jerusalem. I will worship him. But I think we can extend that to say we know that one day we're going to be eye to eye with him. We're going to be in his presence. We're going to be vindicated. We're going to be saved. We're going to be justified. We're going to be redeemed. And finally, we're going to be able to once and for all exhale because everything that we had to endure in this lifetime is finally going to be wiped away. What did we just read this last Sunday? No more sickness, no more death, and God's going to wipe away every tear. So yes, there's endurance right now. Yes, there is sadness for a season right now. But the day is coming as we hope in God when we will again stand in his presence and praise him. And why is that going to be? It's not going to be because of us. It's not going to be because we figured it out or we got strong enough or we were dedicated enough. Once again, the reason we are going to be able to praise him and stand in his presence is because the Yeshua of our continents is God himself. So there, that got us into book two of the Psalms. I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. If you enjoyed that psalm half as much as I did, then I enjoyed it twice as much as you did. (laughs) I'm glad you were here tonight. Thanks for making the effort to come join us as we start our 2023 Wednesday nights. Keep an eye on the weather charts. Hopefully for the next couple of months we'll be able to be consistent on Wednesdays, but pay attention to the weather. Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace midweek message. We encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for books, Q&As, and our ever-expanding archive of audio sermons. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.